Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, May 23rd, 2016. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Boston, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, beantownathletics.com. Today's show is presented by SeatGeek. SeatGeek has made it easier than ever before to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. What's great about SeatGeek is the price you see is the price you get. Most sites are going to try to surprise you at checkout with these outrageous fees, but not SeatGeek. So make sure you download the free SeatGeek app right now and get a $20 rebate on tickets by using the promo code Picard. That's right, as in my last name, Picard. Now, here in Boston, the Red Sox just wrapped up a series at home against the Cleveland Indians. The Red Sox won two out of these three games in this series. The Red Sox will have tonight off. And a little programming note, I'm on WEEI tonight, 10 p.m. to midnight, as I always am when the Red Sox either have a day off, have a day game, or get rained out or postponed. So I'm on WEEI tonight because the Red Sox have off, but they're still home. They will begin a series at Fenway against the Colorado Rockies beginning tomorrow on Tuesday. And a game that I really believe you need to set an alert for on the SeatGeek app right now is Wade Boggs night. That's this coming Thursday. The Red Sox will be retiring number 26 on May 26th. That's the number of Wade Boggs. So that's going to be a special night. And if you want the best deal possible on tickets to this game, well, you need to go to the SeatGeek app, download it for free right now. And again, Use the promo code PICARD. My last name, PICARD. You can get a $20 rebate on tickets. I mentioned the alert. You can set an alert for any event, whether it's a concert, whether it's a a sport, a a team, any city, any venue, you name it. And what SeatGeek does is they keep you updated when ticket prices fall so you get, as I mentioned, the best deal possible. Even better, every ticket on the SeatGeek app is given a grade and you can use their detailed map to see the exact view from your seat. SeatGeek, always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or a concert, and it should be the first place you go as well. I will get back into the Red Sox and some Major League Baseball news from this past weekend, but first and foremost, first and foremost, you know that whenever we have a Deflategate update, I am going to begin the show with it. And we have one. Now, I guess you could say this is somewhat expected because the last couple weeks and the last month, what we've seen from Tom Brady and the NFLPA is they are trying to put together this all-star legal team, like the greatest legal team in the history of legal teams, uh, to help in their fight against Roger Goodell and the NFL's ridiculous decision to suspend Tom Brady four games for something that they don't even have any direct evidence that he was involved in, something that they even acknowledged in a court of law to Judge Richard Berman that they didn't have any direct evidence of, but yet the NFL kept fighting. They appealed Judge Richard Berman's ruling, which was to take away the suspension, and in the NFL's appeal, the NFL won, and the suspension for Tom Brady, as you know, has been reinstated. Now, Tom Brady and the NFLPA had until today, they have until today, to file another appeal on their end, in which the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, the entire panel, would participate in another hearing, right? And in order for that to happen, seven of the 13 judges 
will have to agree on this session. If it's not granted, Brady and the NFLPA could then take the case to the U.S. Supreme Court. But the news is that today was the deadline. Tom Brady, NFLPA, they needed to file this appeal. And reportedly, this is the update, the Deflategate update. Reportedly, Tom Brady and the NFLPA have filed this appeal. The question now is, you know, will will the entire panel, because that's what Brady and the NFLPA is asking for, they're asking for the entire panel of the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, they're asking for everybody, every judge, to hear this session. Will they hear it? I don't know. I have no idea. If they don't, as I mentioned, Brady and the NFLPA could take it to the U.S. Supreme Court. We talked about the possibility of uh, someone stepping in and giving him a stay, and Tom Brady would be able to play in 2016, and maybe the suspension wouldn't kick in until 2017 if Brady and the NFLPA cannot win this battle, ultimately. I just think this stuff is going to keep going on and on. We're going to see appeals. We're going to see it taken to other courts, Supreme Court. We're going to see a stay. We're going to see who knows what we see. But I do not think that we are going to be talking about any conclusion or ending to this Deflategate story and the end of any type of appeal anytime soon. But the update today, I have to begin with it. I have to give it the update. Tom Brady and the NFLPA, they have indeed filed uh, their appeal for a second hearing by the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. So, there's your Deflategate update for the day, maybe for the week. Who knows? If we have another one, I will continue to bring it to you. But my reaction to it is, I think this was expected given the lawyers and the attorneys that Tom Brady and the NFLPA have been adding to this fight for their side, this all-star cast. They added another one last week. And this was someone that represented ooh, George W. Bush, right? Against Bush versus Gore, 2000. We know how that ended. Uh, that was a win for Bush in the election. So, I mean, it, it's very clear what Tom Brady is trying to do. And I think we all expected, and, and maybe I can only speak for myself, but because of those moves, I just expected for this to be the news by today. Today was the deadline to file the appeal, and they have filed it according to to reports. Now, before I get to some other things that happened over the weekend, NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, Major League Baseball, and even UFC and a little WWE news, I guess I have to to touch upon uh, the big stories I mentioned. Now, I'm kind of, I've been out of the loop. I have, I had people tweeting me about what happened last night, and I'm just, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapped up in some other things right now. Uh, You know, hopefully, I, I think there might be some stuff going on. Here with this show, but you never know. We, I'm always working on something. There's always like something going on. It's just, I'm waiting for the moment in which somebody doesn't pull the rug out from under me. Like that's going to be the big moment, right? That, like that's, that's going to be the big moment for this show. You get what I'm saying? Like there's always talks. There's always conversation. There's always potential. There's always interest. It's just, you know, I need the one time in which the, per- the, the, the other side doesn't pull the rug out from under me at maybe the last minute. So I, I've stopped really getting my hopes up and updating you, and, and we keep on keeping the head down and grinding. That's what we're doing. It's really, I say grind, but this is something I love to do anyways. So it's, it's not like I'm devastated having to come in here. I mean, this is where I'm at right now. But as I mentioned, this, this is exciting stuff being talked about. See what happens. We we shall see. Um, so I, but I'm but with that said, there's a lot going on. I'm not. I I've been out of the loop with WWE. I have. 
I have not been, I have not been keeping up to date on that. Um, I, I've told you many times. Back in the day, I was a huge WWE fan. I get it that that people who follow me and like this show, I've had some wrestlers in this studio on this show. You know, I, I think it's interesting in in that way. But when there is a major storyline and a and a big name that let's say returns to the WWE, I, I pay attention to it. But I didn't watch this pay-per-view last night that they had. What was it called? Extreme Rules. I didn't watch it, but I definitely saw what was going on on social media and and paid attention to what was going on when I got caught up this morning. Uh, so I'll touch upon that. UFC, NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs. But real quick, first, as I mentioned to Flakegate and sticking with NFL, I guess, to open the show, I, was on, I did TV Friday night, Comcast Sportsnet. And Arian Foster... We did a little quick hit on this to begin the show. Arian Foster was at Fenway this weekend. Arian Foster was at Fenway. You know, I'm running back, formerly of the Houston Texans. He had the Achilles injury, which is very bad. I mean, it's a bad injury. And the question now is, where's Arian Foster going to play? But more specifically, the question now is, is there interest in New England from the Patriots, and is there interest in our, from Arian Foster in New England, given the fact that he is hanging out in Boston? I mean, when you put the pieces together, it does make sense that Arian Foster, since he's in Boston, he's at Fenway. If you're going to be here, I don't care why you're here, you know, and you're, a, you're somebody that's looking for a team, looking for someone to give you a shot after this Achilles injury, wouldn't you meet with the Patriots? I mean, wouldn't it just be obvious for you if you're Arian Foster to meet with the Patriots? And if you're the Patriots... If Arian Foster wants to meet with you, wouldn't it be obvious to the Patriots to meet with Arian Foster if he's in New England? So, I mean, I don't, I think I've, I've read a couple of reports in which there's, there's interest. That's, that's a no-brainer. Of course there's interest. There should be interest for both sides. For both sides. And, and you know, I, I think the obvious thing would be if there's interest from both sides and the guy's in town, I would assume that he's met with the team. I've, we heard, I haven't heard that report. But I would just sort of assume that that's what happened, right? I, I mean, you know, maybe you call me an idiot. I don't know. I just, why wouldn't you? It makes sense. It just makes too much sense. Why would you be in town and not meet with the team? Like, what, how, how would that hurt? And, the, you know, people ask the question, well, is Arian Foster, is he worth it? And, and I guess I'll respond to your question with a question. Well, what's Arian Foster looking for? Like, what are his goals? Like, wh- is it... He is going to take, you know, a whole lot less than maybe he thinks he might be worth and and come with the Patriots and, and give it a shot and see if he wants to be part of a potential championship winning team and, and maybe not be uh, have the, the major role that, that he once had a couple of years ago. I, I mean, what, what is I need to know what Arian Foster wants. Right? I need to know what's inside his chest. Like, is he thinking championships or is he thinking money? Like, what's Arian Foster think he still is? If I'm the Patriots and Arian Foster has the mindset of a New England Patriot, the Patriot way, hey, I'm a veteran, hey, I'm coming off injury, hey, I want to win, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win, sure, will I be taking less money to maybe give this a shot? Yeah, but I want to win a championship and New England gives me the best chance to do that. If I'm the Patriots, of course I'm taking a flyer on Arian Foster in that situation. Like, it's a no-brainer. 
you know, you can't have Arian Foster stepping in being like, hey, I'm still a number one back. I want to be paid like a number one back. Um, I'm Arian Foster. I know I had an Achilles injury, but still, I feel I'm going to feel great. I, I think I can still be that dominant guy, and, and I want to be paid like a dominant guy. Like, if that's his mindset, you know, you meet with him, you say thanks, but no thanks. Like, we, the Patriots are, are going to be just fine without you. But if he has the right mindset, the Patriot way type mindset, and he's looking for a championship, you absolutely take a flyer on this guy. It's, it's a no-brainer. You bring him in, you, you know, you sign him, you see him at training camp. If it doesn't work out, you cut ties. If it doesn't work out, you cut ties. I mean, Arian Foster, Achilles, but did you, when you think of Arian Foster when he was so damn good, did you think of his speed? At least I didn't. Like, I didn't consider Arian Foster the speeds that it's running around. I considered him someone that was very good, uh, finding the hole, and, you know, using the blocking to the best of his ability up front, and elusive enough without the quick speed to be able to, when he does find that hole, find the open space, and, and pound it. And, 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 you know, that to me, combined with his veteran status... And I would think someone who's hungry for a championship because he was part of those Texans teams that, let's face it, just lacked a quarterback. And that was he was part of so many good teams that just disappointed because when they got to the playoffs, they did not have the guy that was able to make the big plays to win them championships. They just didn't. Right? They just did not have those guys. You know, he was running with Matt Schaub for several years. TJ Yates, I'm sorry, it's not gonna happen. It's not going to happen with those guys. And, and you know, they were a team that had all the potential in the world because of their defense. All they needed was a big play quarterback and the big spots in the playoffs. They just didn't have that guy. So you would think Arian Foster, a veteran who got a taste of some very good seasons, some unbelievable seasons, had individual success. Uh, his teams had great success, but they never could get over that hump. I think when you get that taste and you get into the playoffs – and, and and you can see a team maybe that wants you like the Patriots, and you know that that's a team that has the quarterback. Even with this potential suspension loom and this, that, the other thing, I don't necessarily think that uh, someone like Foster would shy away if he became interested in the Patriots. Like, I don't think that, that makes him back away from the Pats. It's not like Brady is suspended for the entire season. That's a different story. You know, if Garoppolo is the quarterback for an entire season, I, I, you probably don't get Arian Foster. But, but again, I don't know. This all comes back to Foster's mindset. This is all going to be about what Arian Foster wants to do. Because, like I said, if Foster wants, if he still is, if he's still going to pound his chest and say, I'm a top running back in this league and I want to make some of the top money and I want to be the number one back and I want to be the every down back and I'm the guy, then guess what? All right, you meet with them. If you get that vibe that that's what he wants to do, then he's not a fit. I'm sorry, he's not. He's not a fit. Patriots can win without that. And so that's not going to happen if that's his mindset. I just don't know. Uh, perhaps his mindset is, like I mentioned, he got a taste, a little taste of the playoffs, a taste of successful teams, and he just wants to join a team that has that quarterback that can get him over the hump, has that coach that knows how to win, be a part of that organization uh, that, that has this championship legacy, and he's willing to take less, and he might be willing at points and times to take a lesser role, but he just wants to win. I mean, if that's his mindset, oh, it's an all-brainer. You bring him in, you sign him, you, you get the deal done. I just, it, it all comes back to what Foster wants to do because the Patriots are going to do what they do. It's not going to change for Arian Foster. I don't give a fuck what he's done in his career. That's not going to change. Patriots are not going to change, nor should they. 
They're not going to change for one guy, nor should they. That's how I feel. It's <laughs> the Patriot way is a special thing. I, 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 I believe that the success the Patriots have is is because of that. It's because the mindset that they have created at Gillette Stadium. You know, the sign on the wall that says, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be. And the Patriots always seem to find a way to win when the guys that don't want to be there are eventually ousted or leave on their own, right? That's that's the way it is. And it's not going to change for Arian Foster. I just don't know what Arian Foster's mindset is. But if he has the right mindset, the Patriot way mindset, you bring him in. No brainer. Absolutely. Take a flyer on So, we'll see. Keep an eye on that storyline moving forward. But moving on from the NFL, had a big weekend in the NBA playoffs. Big weekend. And we got, I don't, look, by the time you listen to this podcast, you might know what the league is going to do to Draymond Green. You might, they might already have made a decision. Uh, First and foremost, last night, uh, Oklahoma City. I my picks, picks. I gave you two games with the spread only because there were two games. I gave you Cl- uh, uh, what Cleveland, right? As a, what a five six point favorite in Game Three in Toronto, and I did not see Toronto winning that one. Toronto did. And they won a big. They were up big most of the game. Toronto won Game Three in Toronto, ninety nine to eighty four. So I lose that one. Cleveland now leads that series two games to one. Uh, Game four is going to be tonight at 8.30 on this Monday evening in Toronto. I expect Cleveland to win this one tonight. But I was a little shocked that Toronto won it the way they won it in game three. But last night, you know, Oklahoma City, Golden State, series goes to Oklahoma City, goes into this game last night, into this game three, series tied at one. Uh, they, They last played on Wednesday night. They got Thursday, Friday, Saturday off, and they play this game on Sunday. Way too long of a layoff in between games for the series, given how exciting it was. But you know the reason? Ratings higher Sunday night than Saturday. This is the go-to series right now in the playoffs. Uh, Oklahoma City, Golden State. And, you know, I I guess the, the business aspect of it, I can sort of understand why the NBA did it. It's just, I think... You know, how many how many days off is too many days off in between a playoff series? I think three is way too many days off, and that's exactly what they gave them. Uh, so they, they finally get back to work last night in Oklahoma City, and the Thunder just, they crushed Golden State, 133-105. to 105. This game was over in the second quarter. This game was over in the second quarter. It was. It was over. Oklahoma City whooped Golden State. Uh, but during this game, you got some controversy that, and again, by the time you listen to this, by the time you listen to this, you might already know what the NBA does to Draymond Green. I don't know. So I apologize for that, the timeliness maybe of, of this conversation. But I'll, here's what I'll tell you. And if you don't know what happened, Draymond Green last night, he kicked Steven Adams in the nuts. Underneath the basket, going up for a shot, and his right leg comes up, and he kicks Steven Adams right in the nuts. And uh, my initial reaction was, here's my, here was my range of emotions on that kick from Draymond Green. My initial reaction was, that's bullshit. That's on purpose. That's intentional. You need to kick him out of the game. I said, you got to go. He's got to go. You got to be ejected for that. You can't do that. Now, they ended up giving him a flagrant one. He stays in the game. He had a bad game. Golden State had a terrible game. Oklahoma City wins the game. And Oklahoma City now, 
They lead the series two games to one. Still at home for game four. Now, I, I think if, if Draymond Green plays game four, I think Golden State will win it. The question is, will Draymond Green play game four? Will he be suspended? They didn't eject him from the game last night. After the game, Steve Kerr, coach of the Warriors, comes out and says he was asked about it. Any fear of a potential suspension for Draymond Green? He said, suspension? No. In fact, this is what Steve Kerr said. He said, in fact, they should take away the flagrant one. This stuff happens all the time. Players follow through on shots. Legs get kicked. The example he used, he actually threw Westbrook under the bus. He said, Westbrook, every time he takes a three or takes a deep shot, his leg kick, his leg comes out and kicks our guys. Nobody says anything. It happens all the time. See, I know what Steve Kerr's doing. Steve Kerr is, because Steve Kerr, I think deep down inside, absolutely knows what's going on here. And what's going on here is more than just that kick last night in game three, because Draymond Green and in Draymond Green in Game 2 did the same exact thing, only with a knee. He needs Steven Adams in the nuts from up top. So now we're talking back-to-back games, and with Draymond Green's legs are running up into the junk of another player, the same player on Oklahoma City. And that is a factor, okay? It absolutely is. And the craziest part about this whole thing, it's, it happened on Saturday night between Cleveland and Toronto. In their game three, Dante Jones, Cleveland Cavaliers guard Dante Jones, he has been suspended one game. He's suspended for tonight's game four for his low blow to Bismarck Biombo in game three. And if you saw that, Dante Jones, it was with his hand, right? Were they, were they sort of fighting maybe for a rebound? And... Dante Jones' hand, they're they're battling, they're throwing each other's arms around. See, here's here's my reaction to the Dante Jones. I actually don't think that was on purpose. I don't. I think his hand was, I really don't think that was on purpose. I think he gave him a little elbow after that, sort of pushing him. But I don't think the, and it looked like a punch, but I'm telling you right now, there's one angle of the Dante Jones sort of from behind him where you're looking into its court level, and you're looking into the bench, I'm telling you right now, I do not think Dante Jones did that on purpose. I don't think he punched him in the nuts on purpose. I don't necessarily know that Draymond Green with the knee in game two was on purpose. But here's what I think. And I've watched it a million times, and I've kind of gone back and forth on the Draymond Green last night, the kick uh, to the nuts of Steven Adams. I think that was I think that was on purpose. I do. I think it was on purpose. Uh, you might disagree. I think it was on purpose. I think he should have been ejected. I think he should be suspended, especially if you're suspending Dante Jones. Look, people want to throw out this idea that Draymond Green, well, yeah, he's not someone that comes off the bench, plays minimal minutes, and is doing this. You know, he's not, like, being used as a goon. I, but the way I look at Dante Jones, don't forget about the— look, forget about the Draymond Green ones for a minute. I want you to go look at the Dante Jones. I'm telling you right now, I think they're battling with their hands, and I think his hand was, I do not think Dante Jones did that on purpose. I really don't. I'm trying to put myself in the players, in the shoes of these players, while there's body contact, and there's arms being waved, and there's, you know, pushing and shoving, and you're going up against a bigger dude. Like, I'm, and, and I'm sorry, the Dante Jones one to me is, I don't think that's on purpose. I really don't. The Draymond Green one last night, to me, I just, 
It's to me, you cannot convince me that that was unintentional. You cannot convince me that Draymond Green's kick in game three to Steven Adams was unintentional. I believe it was intentional. I believe he did it on purpose. Do I think he tried to boot him in a way in which he wanted to hurt him or at least kick him that hard? I don't think so. But I think he certainly did it with the purpose to make some contact, to let him know he's there. I think that might be part of Draymond Green's... Yeah, you know, It looked to me like he was just trying to use the movement of going up with a shot underneath the basket to get away with the kick. Like, that's what I feel like he was doing there. And um, I thought he could've, I thought he should have got ejected. I thought Draymond Green should have got kicked out of that game last night, and I think he should be suspended based on the suspension that you just gave Dante Jones. I'm sorry. Draymond Green should not be playing in the next game. He shouldn't be. He, he really shouldn't. And I know you say, well, it's a playoff game. You want it decided like that? It's like, well, guess what? He kicked the guy in the nuts. I mean, I didn't kick him in the nuts. He did. And we cannot hide from the fact that you already suspended one guy. Maybe the argument should be, should you have suspended Dante Jones? Maybe that should be the argument. Because if they did not suspend Dante Jones, then I think we have more of a conversation of, all right, I I still, you know, I I just, I, I look at it this way. You can't, you can't ignore the fact that this has happened twice now with Draymond Green and the same play. You can't ignore that. You cannot ignore it. We're talking about nut shots here. I mean, for, for Steve Kerr saying this happens all the time, I, I, I'm sorry. I just, does it? I mean, does it happen all the time? It's one thing with the hand and you're fighting the leg. Like, does this happen all the time? Because I can't tell you. I'll be honest with you. I watch a lot of NBA. I can't tell you the last time a guy got kicked in the nuts like that last night. I can't tell you the last time the same one-on-one matchup, the same guy kicked the, the other guy who's the same guy in the nuts in two straight games. Like, I can't tell you the last time that happened. I can't tell you. I just can't. I know legs get kicked. I know they try to make contact sometimes if, he, if you're shooting a three. But do you ever really try to make that type of contact underneath the basket with your leg? Eh, I, I don't know. I mean, that's new to me. Steve Kerr says it happens all the time. But here's what Steve Kerr's doing. Here's what Steve Kerr's doing. He's get, when he was asked about it last night, he said, I think suspension. I think the flagrant one should be taken away. This happens all the time. Steve Kerr knows deep down inside Draymond Green was being a punk. He knows. He knows it. He knows that Draymond Green was being a punk. And it's Steve Kerr's job, and good for him, it's Steve Kerr's job to defend his player in such a way that he is now going to try to influence the league when it comes to their decision-making because without Draymond Green in Game 4 – that is a loss of epic proportions for the Golden State Warriors. For a team that just set the regular season record for wins in a single season at 73. You are in the Western Conference Finals. You trail the series two games to one. You're still on the road. Kevin Durant, Westbrook, and the boys in OKC, they are reminding us. Here's what they're doing in OKC right now. You know what they're doing? They're reminding us of the team that they were before Durant, right? He was battling some injuries. They reminded us of, of the Thunder maybe two, three years ago. For a couple years, when you go when we were going into regular seasons and we did like our preseason predictions, I mean, before Golden State and Steph Curry arrived on the scene the way they've arrived on the scene 
the last year and a half, two years. Uh, Oklahoma City was that team in the West that we would say, okay, it's going to be Miami, LeBron in Miami versus Durant and the Thunder, Oklahoma City in the NBA Finals. Like That was the preseason prediction for a couple straight years. Oklahoma City is now reminding us of that's the team that we used to pick. This is the team that we used to pick. Golden State sort of took the reins as the top dog in the Western Conference. I know San Antonio was always there too, but we always we always ignore San Antonio, don't we? It's just it's just what we do. We ignore San Antonio. We used to pick Oklahoma City though. And since Golden State stepped in and they sort of stole the keys to the car, so to speak, in the West. I think maybe there was part of us that forgot about Oklahoma City and how good Durant was and how good him and Westbrook could be together and, and some of the other pieces that they had on that team. They're reminding us of what we thought of them just a couple of years ago. wasn't too long ago. We forgot about them a little bit because of some issues they had, but also because some teams like Golden State stepped up, San Antonio stepped up, made some major moves. A- a- Oklahoma City is playing some great basketball right now. If Draymond Green is not available for Game 4, Steve Kerr knows how big a loss that is. He knows how big a loss that is. Now, is it a Steph Curry loss? No, but it's a pretty big loss. I mean, you talk about the big three with Golden State. Draymond Green's part of it, right? Draymond Green is right there and a huge part of that. You cannot be missing him for a potentially must-win Game 4 on the road in Oklahoma City. Against a Thunder team that is playing some very dominant, inspired basketball right now. So Steve Kerr goes into the press conference last night. He knows that Draymond Green's being a punk. I'm sure he doesn't like it. I'm sure he knows they got lucky by him not being ejected, though it didn't really matter because Golden State didn't sniff a chance in this one last night. They just didn't show up, and Oklahoma City did. But... I think Steve Kerr knows Draymond Green was being a punk, so he had one he had one job. He had one thing he could do. Try what can he do to sort of sway the vote in the league offices and get on their side and get them thinking, eh, here's what he can do. He can go the complete opposite. When he's asked about the suspension, he says, Suspension? I don't think that should even have been a flagrant. They should be t- there should be no talk in the league office about a suspension. There should be talk in the league office about taking that taking that flagrant away. And that's his game. That's the mind game that Steve Kerr is currently playing with the league. And I can guarantee you this. Steve Kerr, you know, the way the league looks at the Warriors right now, the fact that Kerr is is such a big name in the sport. He seems like a good guy. Everybody likes him. Guess what? There's going to be some people in that league office that are listening to him. There will be. That might be influenced here. That might say, hey, you know what? This does happen all the time. Or there is usually body contact. Maybe it's just a bad coincidence that the leg came up to the nuts. Two straight games. Um, and, and maybe Steve's right. Maybe we should think, well, is it a suspension? Or, or should we take the flagrant away? Or since it was a flagrant one, should we just stay on middle ground and leave it? Because you got now you get the two extremes you got to juggle if you're the league office. And that's Kerr's job. Okay? That's his job. I, I will almost guarantee you that Steve Kerr, behind the scenes, to a man, to Luke Walton, his other assistants, is going... You know, I guarantee they're watching film today go, going, what the fuck is he thinking? Like, what the fuck is he thinking doing this shit? Does he know, like, what the consequences are that now they're going to be talking about a suspension? I mean, I, I, like, I almost want to guarantee those are, the conf- those are the conversations going on in Golden State. Because it's stupid what he did. And, and I mean, unless you're on the, the other side of it, which is saying, Danny, no, it was unintentional, this happens. 
I'm sorry. I, I look at that one last night. I'm like, I, you, I just can't buy into it. I that last night, what Draymond Green did, he had every single intent to make contact below the belt with his leg. He did. I'm sorry, he did. And it's two straight games, and the league already suspended one guy in the other series in the East Finals for for giving a low blow, which I thought was pretty obvious. It wasn't on purpose. Dante Jones. And, and I think I'm in the minority on that one, but that's how I feel about it. And if you already suspended one guy, can you look at it and go, all right, this is an all-star player. This other guy comes off the bench and is a scrub. Like, what? Can you do that? I don't think you should do that. I think you have to look at it and say, okay, player X did this. Player Y did that. How are we going to handle it? But in the midst of that conversation... When you get a coach like Steve Kerr coming out publicly saying, suspension, no. They should take away the flagrant one. This happens all the time. I would know. I used to kick my legs out myself and I would take shots. Happens all the time. I, I guarantee you Steve Kerr is going to maybe influence some people in the league office to think about what he's saying. And if he can do that, well, he's a winner here. Because then maybe maybe they do, maybe you do get a couple people saying, eh, you know what, this does happen. And um, eh, maybe we'll listen to Steve. You know, he would know, right? He's, he's been there, done that. I just, I think Kerr's doing his job. I think it's something he has to do. But if you're asking me, like if I'm making the decision, one, I would have ejected Draymond Green on the spot last night. Two, he would be suspended for this game, for this next game. He would, Draymond Green. I, I would be suspending him. Now, it might be a different conversation if they didn't suspend Dante Jones, but they did. So, what is it? Are you suspending for shots below the belt, or you're not suspended for shots below the belt? Because last time I checked, this is now two straight games in which Draymond Green is given a shot below the belt with his leg. It's got to stop. I can I can see the one from the outside a little bit more, like because legs do get kicked out, and you are looking for that contact and that foul. But underneath the basket, when's the last time you saw someone go up with a leg like that? In, a, in, a, in an attempt to create contact for the end one. Usually the contact for the end one is with the shoulders, with the back, with the arm, you know, the up and down. It's, it's not with the leg kick coming up. Like, the, like Draymond Green came up with it last night. I'm sorry, he did that on purpose. He did. He did that on purpose. And he should be suspended for it. He should be. But that's, that's the story in the NBA right now. And that would be a huge loss for Golden State. I think he should be suspended, but I think the way Kerr played it off, I think you might get some people signing with Steve Kerr in the league office because of who he is. I do. And uh, if I had to put my money on it, I'd say no suspension. But if I had the choice, I'd be suspended. I would. So that's what we have in the NBA playoffs uh, tonight. As I mentioned, Cleveland and Toronto, their game four in Toronto, 830 Cleveland leads the series two games to one still. And then tomorrow night, Tuesday night, it'll be game four between Golden State and Oklahoma City in Oklahoma City. Uh, so I will watch this Cleveland-Toronto game. I'll be watching it while I'm on the air at WEI tonight till midnight, and I will react to this game on this very podcast tomorrow. But I can't move on from the NBA stuff and, and LeBron James just yet because, you know, and, and I'm, I, I don't know that I buy into this rumor, but I have a feeling it's going to take on a life of its own. It's unfortunate because LeBron is currently playing in the playoffs for the Cleveland Cavaliers. However, you could make the case that he's, he's 
put this on himself if he is asked about this, if if people in the media do make this a major storyline. And the storyline is this. There's a rumor floating around in the basketball world with NBA insiders that LeBron James, if he wins a title with Cleveland this year, he could be one and done with regards to one title and done with the Cavaliers. He gets them the title, and he goes back to, guess where? Miami. That's the rumor. That if LeBron wins the title this year, he's going to go back and play for the Heat and play with Miami. And maybe finish his career with the Heat. Or people are talking about L.A. Going to L.A. I don't know if they're talking about the Lakers. I don't know if they're talking about the Clippers. I don't know. But they're talking about L.A. And I would I would think if you're talking about L.A., as crazy as this sounds, maybe you're talking about the Clippers. I would think. Because, you know, Chris Paul... We talked about that rumor. LeBron wanted to play with Chris Paul. Maybe all of a sudden the Clippers make a move. Um, they bring in Carmelo, and maybe that's their next big three with the Clippers. And LeBron says, okay, Kobe's gone with the Lakers. There's another team in L.A. that's in town that's going to now have a legit shot uh, to, to, to go on a couple serious championship runs. Maybe that's what he does. Is it an unfair conversation for Cavaliers fans right now and maybe the rest of the Cavaliers players and even maybe LeBron? Sure, but also, with that said, you know, when LeBron James during the season goes down and on, on an off, a couple off days and goes down and trains with Dwayne Wade in Miami, I mean, you just can't do that. I think a lot of the LeBron James stuff gets blown out of proportion. I've told you that many times. But that one story where he went down to Miami I, during the season, I just said, come on, there's got to be... There's got to be a better time to do that. This is not the time or the place to to go down and train with the player from the Heat and make it happen in Miami. Like, it's just it's just not the time and the place. You just can't be doing that shit. And LeBron did it, and that's going to lead to some of these rumors. And that's the, those are the rumors that are floating out there. And to be honest with you, I believe them. I do. I think there's a reason these things get out. I don't think they just come out of nowhere. The question is, how serious is it? Like, how close is it to actually happening? I don't know. But I will tell you this. The fact that the rumor is out there... I I think there's been a discussion or two. I think there's been an interest level in LeBron if he wins a championship to leave Cleveland. I do. I, I just, I feel that way. That where there's smoke, there is fire. How serious is this fire? I have no idea. It might not be very serious right now, but there is, there's a couple flames there. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm just telling you. It's, this is the rumor that's out there. Uh, I, I think that, you know, look, LeBron can do what he wants to go run around and win championships. At the end of the day, I, I, I don't know that, I don't know that he, you know, in 20 years, is he judged on where he won the championships? Eh, I don't think so. I think right now some people might say that and feel strongly about that, but I think if he can go on and win, you know, three, four more championships, to be honest with you, you know, in, in 15, 20 years, I'm not going to care where he won the championships. I'll tell you that everywhere LeBron's went, he has been the main piece to those championships, right? I mean, think about it. Um, he goes to Miami. All of a sudden, they're in the I mean, LeBron James literally has permanent real estate in the NBA Finals. And last time I checked, when LeBron left Miami, it wasn't Miami going to the Finals without LeBron. It was LeBron going back to the Finals last year without Miami. And also last time I checked, Miami is eliminated. They are no longer in the playoffs. And here's LeBron still without Miami and with Cleveland. Going, they're going to go to the finals again. 
So who is it? Is it the teams he's joining or is it the player? It's the player to me. LeBron is is taking these teams to the finals. I don't even think that's up for debate given the fact that LeBron has, like I said, permanent real estate in the NBA finals. So um, I would like to see, you know, the, the, I'd like to see him stay in Cleveland. I would. I, I just think that would be a little bit more, I guess, genuine. But at the end of the day, we'll get worked up for a little bit. Then he'll play the games and he'll make a playoff run. And, uh... You know, it will be because of him. He'll make championship runs wherever he goes. That's how good he is. That's how good he is. I know we don't... Look, I don't like LeBron's personality. I'm I'm not his biggest fan when it comes to things he says, does, his, his actions, his social media. Like, I'm not a big fan of LeBron James. But not being a fan of a guy doesn't mean I, I can't look at something realistically. And when I look at his career realistically, I mean, the guy's an absolute beast. And to me, it doesn't matter where he goes. He's going to be probably in the NBA Finals for most of the rest of his career, at least while he's in his prime. And he's still in his prime. And I don't know that that's going to slow down uh, in, in the next five, six years. I, I, so I think LeBron is going to continue to make him runs to the Finals. I would like to see him stay in Cleveland because I think that makes him look a little bit better. But I mean, would you be surprised if he jumped ship if they win it? I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised one bit. So, we'll keep an eye on that. But for right now, LeBron's in Cleveland, and they play tonight, Game 4, against the Raptors in Toronto, and I'm expecting Cleveland to win it. I am. I'm expecting Cleveland to win this one. I am not expecting Toronto to even the series up. I'm expecting Cleveland to have a much better game than they did in Game 3. And I I, I would pick Cleveland to take a 3-1 series lead and head him back home and, and even close it out in five. That's, that's how good I think the Cavaliers are. So, moving on from the NBA playoffs... Before I get to some Major League Baseball stuff here, just Stanley Cup playoffs. Last night, the Tampa Bay Lightning defeat the Pittsburgh Penguins 4-3 in overtime. Tampa Bay leads the series now three games to two. Tonight, you got game five between the Sharks and the Blues in St. Louis. That series is tied at two. The the storyline in these two series in the conference finals is something that I am not a fan of. And it worked for St. Louis in their game four. It did not work for Pittsburgh in their game five. And the storyline I'm talking about is these teams are switching their goaltenders in the middle of the conference finals. I, I hate this strategy. This is as bad a strategy as you could have, in my opinion, even though, even though when you look at it, you look at St. Louis and you think that, hey, it worked. All right, you ended up winning. You sat Elliott, Brian Elliott, and it worked. See, I, so now what? You know, do you go back to, you know, you don't go back to Elliott, right? I don't know what they do. I just, I, it's one thing if you made this move, a goaltender change in like the middle of the first round if you're losing, and you're like, hey, we need to do something quick, a win out advance, and I'm just not feeling it with this goalie. It's another thing to, to sit the guy that gets you to the conference finals. Think about how difficult that is in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, the Stanley Cup's the toughest trophy to win in sports. It's just the the number of games you got to win and and the just the the physical toll that it plays on you. Those all those things combined, it's the toughest trophy in sports to win. You get a goaltender to take you to the conference finals, the final four of the NHL. And you get to the middle of these series and you're going to switch goaltenders? I I just I don't agree with the strategy. I really don't. 
it's one thing you want to do it in the first round if things are awful and you trail the series 3-1, you need a spark, you need something going. I mean, I don't even, to be honest, I don't even agree with it then because most of these teams are in the playoffs. They're riding their number one goalies. The way I would look at it is, you know what? I just feel confident in my number one. If I need a must-win game, I'm, I'm sticking with my top dog. I, I know he's had a, he's struggled, he's had a tough series, but, you know, maybe there's some bounces in front of him that aren't his fault. I just, still, even if he had a bad game the game before, it's he's my guy. I got to stick with him. Like, that's just the mindset I would take. And here you got coaches. The, like, the Penguins put a Marc-Andre Fleury. They, and, and the OT goal that Tampa Bay scored last night, it's a shot from the top of the left circle that goes off the back of, what was it, Johnson's back and goes into the net. Like, I can't put that on Fleury. But the game-tying goal that Tampa Bay scored, right, to send it to overtime? I mean, Flurry's going left to right, and I don't know if his toe got stuck in the in the ice. That puck shot from the left circle should never go to the back of the net to the right side of the middle bot. Like that, that should never go to the right side of the net and go in. I don't I don't know what Flurry's doing in that shot, but uh, you know, still. The, the fact that you would make that switch to me is just sort of mind-boggling. I hate the strategy. And even seeing that St. Louis ended up winning their last one with the goalie switch, I mean, Elliot got you there, right? As far as everything I saw. And he's taking you to this point. I, I am just not a fan of making the goaltender switch in the middle of the conference finals. I just, I'm not for it. So, But they're doing it, and we'll see where they go. But that's the storyline here of the conference finals in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, To some baseball this weekend, I'll get to what the Red Sox did in a minute, but just, you you know what frustrates me the most about Major League Baseball is when we have to have this discussion about rule changes, about them trying to change the game. Rob Manfred, new commission, he's trying to do all this crazy shit. First and foremost, the idea that, that, oh, the games are going so long, they're taking forever, I, I, am not, I am never one to get involved in that discussion. I just, I don't think about it. I, I honestly don't think about it. I do not think about the length of a game. Look, I will sit down and watch a baseball game in the middle of the summer, in the spring, in the fall. I'll do it. I know it's a long season. If you're going to shorten anything, I think you probably... Shorten the season up a little bit. But I don't even think I want to do that. When it comes to the game and the time of the game, it, Major League Baseball has been very clear. They are going to do everything it takes to speed it up because people have complaints. My complaint with it is this. I think what Major League Baseball is doing by trying to succumb to the pressures of these people who want them to, to make the games quicker and shorter what they're doing is they're succumbing to the pre- the league is succumbing to the pressures of people who even if the games do become shorter these people are not going to be watching in the middle of the summer on a Tuesday night in July they're just still not going to watch like that's my problem i am still going to watch like the major demographic for major league baseball like i'm still watching the game if it's a three and a half four hour game on a Tuesday night in July guess who's watching me I don't give a shit about the time of the game. I'm not, I don't want a pitch clock in baseball. I don't want you doing drastic things uh, to, to change the time. Like, I, I don't, 
that, that doesn't bother me. And the people that it's seemingly bothering who the league is trying to, you know, they're, they're trying to appease these people. I think if you do make the game shorter, these people are still not going to watch. You get what I'm saying? So my, my, my advice to the league is don't go crazy in the next couple of years. But the, the more you see them thinking about it and making these other minor changes, the more it makes me think, well, all right, a pitch clock is coming. Like they're going to do something drastic. Now, the reason I bring this up is because there's a report today that Major League Baseball has approved two rule changes that could go into effect next year. They're not dra- It's not drastic. It's just, f- for me, it's like a sign of things to come. Like, I do feel like, all right, every year there's going to be something else, and we're getting closer and closer to a pitch clock. And I don't want to see that, ever. But I just feel like we're getting there. Here's what they're doing. Here are the two rule changes that have been approved that could go into effect next year. One, no throws on an intentional walk. So, if you're going to intentionally walk someone, like Jackie Bradley Jr. continues to get intentionally walked, which is absolutely hysterical, by the way. Like, the rate at which they are intentionally walking Jackie Bradley Jr. is, I, I am, like, I'm, I'm in shock. And, and I'm not in shock because I think it's the wrong move for them this season. I think it's probably the right move for, for the Indians, especially this weekend against Cleveland, for Cleveland to do this. But I'm in shock where... If you bring me back to February and you told me this was happening with Jackie Bradley Jr. in May or at any point in his career, I'd laugh in your fucking face. I'd laugh in your face. So that's where it's shocking. Um, but what Major League Baseball has approved, one of these rule changes is beginning next year, potentially, if you're going to intentionally walk someone, you don't got to throw the four pitches. You just throw up the four fingers and they say, hey, we're going to walk you. Get to first base. Now, what does that do? Honestly, it, I guess it. I guess it speeds it up. Like, what does it speed it up? Twenty seconds. Honestly, does it? It doesn't even speed it up. See, I like it. Throw the four pitches. There's potential that ball gets away. There could be a guy on third. Usually, if you're walking someone, there's, you know, runners on second and third. First base open. Maybe he throws it away. You get some head case. All of a sudden, run scores. I actually like it. What's like so? Why are we doing this? Like, I don't get it. I, and I know maybe I'm, I'm getting worked up about something. If you go the other way and you say, well, it's just not a big deal. He doesn't throw the, the pitches and he goes to first. I mean, what's the big deal? I, I, I can understand that argument too. I just, my issue is why are we changing things? Right? Why? Like, I just, just leave him alone. To me, the game's fine. Like, in my head, the game is, is, is fine. So... I just feel like they're making the more attempts that they make to speed up the game, even though this doesn't really speed up the game, the closer we get to a pitch clock. And I will really lose my shit if that's where we end up going at some point in the future. I, I can't stand it. And, and the other rule is an altered strike zone, which is going to raise the lower part of the zone to the top of the hitter's knees. And, you know, all, see, I, I, I just, I wish they would just stay away from the strike zone. The strike zone is the fucking strike zone. Um, we're trying to be too cute with the strike zone now. I get it. There were some bad calls. We, we saw that Red Sox-Yankees a couple weeks ago. There are some bad calls. But that's, that's just human error. 
And we just need to accept it. The strike zone is different for every home plate umpire. We are so spoiled with this stupid pitch track meter video, whatever the fuck it is, on the screen all game, that we think we are just so perfect with balls and strikes, sitting on our couch, eating a bag of popcorn, that that we now are trying to just manipulate strike zones all over Major League Baseball so that it will be a perfect situation. I got news for you. It's not going to be a perfect situation ever, nor should it be, because you got a guy standing behind home plate using his own two eyes to call balls and strikes. And I got news for you. That's the way it's been for over 100 fucking years. Like, what are we changing shit for? I'm fine with what's going on. We're changing the strike zone? How much confusion is that going to cause? I mean, and, and what are we doing? What, are two inches? I mean, do we really think the eye test from some of these old umpires is going to make that much of a difference? How about you just get some, some younger umpires with some better vision behind the plate? And even then, it's not going to be perfect. We're trying to do things here in Major League Baseball that are just... Th- stop. Let's just stop. Let's keep the game the way it is. It's fine. And the people complain about it are the people who are still not going to watch when they make these changes. That's it's They're not. They're not going to watch. So why are we doing this? Like, why, why do I have to wake up every two months with a new fucking rule change in baseball? Like, let's just play the game. You throw the ball. You hit the ball. You catch the ball. You get some bad calls. You get some good calls. We're replaying shit now. Now we're not even throwing the pitches for an intentional walk. Next thing you know, we're going to have fucking robots behind the plate calling balls and strikes. What? I mean, that's next, right? Robots, clocks. We might not even have a guy behind the catcher. They might be calling balls and strikes from, from you know, behind the glass. Up, up, up in these suites. I mean, that's, that's where we're going. And that's why I'm scared. I don't want to go there. Like, I don't. People say, well, you got to adjust to technology and well I mean not if the game is fine <laughs> right not if not if the game is perfectly fucking fine and I think it is and maybe that's where you disagree with me okay maybe you think the game isn't fine maybe you think the games are too long maybe you think something needs to be done uh, then that's where we disagree I don't you know to me if, if me and you are on those sides different sides of the fence I'm never going to convince you that the game is is, is is going well right now, and you can never convince me that the game is going bad. It's it's a it's just the difference of what we like versus what we don't like. And and to me, if you're like myself and you are basically watching baseball thinking there's nothing wrong with it, then I think you've liked the game for a long time. And I think you will still be watching on a Tuesday night in July. So I just feel like Major League Baseball is trying to appease a group of people that even when they make changes are not like the league is still not going to have their full attention because their attention span sucks anyways it seems so what's the point of doing making all these changes and changing all this shit in the game I just please enough I know these are some minor things but I feel like these minor things will eventually turn into major things and I do not want to see that Uh, speaking of major things I would say, and I just mentioned him, Jackie Bradley Jr. extended his hit streak to 27 games. This is a major thing. You got to. What was Saturday? He ran out an infield single. I'm that right. I mean, 
So you get some close ones here. But, and he's getting intentionally walked. He's getting even the, the unintentional, intentional walk sometimes. Jackie Bradley Jr. swinging a bat like a bad dude right now and uh, extends a hit streak to 27 games. David Ortiz almost hit for the cycle yesterday, but a ground rule double back to the triangle. That was a tough bounce. Um, and he doesn't get the cycle, but Ortiz continues uh, to rip the shit out of the ball. And Joe Kelly makes his return. He was great on Saturday. You know what was great about it? 97 on the paint. 97 paint on the outside to right-handed hitters. He can't hit it. Now, can he continue that? (laughs) History shows probably not. But if he could, you know, there's always been... Um, there's always been sort of, and I heard Lou Maloney say this on TV the other night, and I completely agree. There's always been this potential with Joe Kelly because he throws gas, because he throws 97, he can dial it up, because he does have some pretty nasty movement at times in that two-seamer, and you can mix in the slider. Like, you saw him in St. Louis, you know, I just, Joe Kelly had potential because of the stuff he has. It's just... A matter of him putting it together. And putting it together is what he did Saturday against Cleveland. And what that means is he doesn't take something off the fastball. He's not saying, oh, I don't have control when I throw it 96-97, so I got to throw it 92-93. No, that's where he gets in trouble. That's where he starts leaving pitches up in the zone. That's where he starts overthinking it. That's where he starts walking guys. That's when then he starts walking guys, and then he feels the need to, well, I just got to get it over the plate. And then what he's doing, he's getting it over the plate, taking something off the fastball, it's flat, and it goes in the seats with bases loaded. Like, you can see it all spiral out of control with him at times the last year and a half. And all I've been asking for from him is, hey, kid, you throw 97, okay? You got some pretty good movement on the, that ship. What we need you to do is just sort of find a way to locate that. And that's exactly what he did Saturday. I mean, paint outside, 97, unhittable, unhittable. Will he keep that up? I mean, if you want to go put your money on it, go ahead. I tell you that I won't. I won't put my money on it. So, you know, but let's just acknowledge what it was. I mean, Joe Kelly was great on Saturday. He's If he can keep that up, whew, I tell you what, yeah, that potential that you hear people like Lou Maloney talk about that I've talked about many times, it's because of that velocity. If you can if you can hit your spots like he was Saturday with that velocity, he can be a dangerous pitcher. A dangerous pitcher. But we'll have to see if he keeps it up. The Red Sox have off tonight. Uh, they just took two of three over Cleveland at Fenway. You look at the standings. The Red Sox, uh, they are tied for first place in the AL East with the Baltimore Orioles. The Yankees behind them, at you know, they're five and a half games out. Rays, five and a half games out. And Toronto in last place, uh, they are six games out. Toronto, always involved in an altercation of some sort these days, right? Another one yesterday was Stroman, Donaldson. They do kind of think they're the bad boys of Major League Baseball. They do. They do. And to be honest with you, I'm starting not to like it. You know, you saw him in the playoffs last year. Batista flips the bat. I thought it was a big inning. I liked it. I told you time and a place for everything. But now I feel like... It's sticking with Toronto to the point where they do think they're the bad boys of Major League Baseball and they can give anybody the dirty looks and they can say anything they want to anybody with a mean mug in their face and uh, they can get away with it. I, I, Well, you know, Batista won, he got cracked. And you know what I hate is when people say, oh, he took the punch. 
Well, yeah, he took the punch. I mean, it's not like he got hit. You know, if he got hit a little bit lower in the in the face, I think he would have been knocked out cold. He got hit sort of in the jaw, but maybe closer to the cheekbone, the eye. It's not going to knock him out. Um, but it was a pretty good punch. I thought I thought Bautista got his bell run. Like I think if Beltray didn't grab him, I don't think Bautista would have been able to to sort of stand up. He would have stood up, but I don't think he would have been standing up straight, being able to hold his own in a fight if they get hit like that. I honestly thought the look in his face was he got his bell run. Yeah, I hate when people are saying, oh, he took the punch. He didn't fall. Well, dude got his bell rung. I mean, I don't think he was in the, in a right, in the right place after that. I really don't. I, the look in his face, I didn't think. I thought he was seeing, you know, Tweety Bird spinning around in his head there. I, I did. Uh, and people say he wasn't. I'm, I'm going, no, I think he was. I think he was. Um, uh, maybe Donaldson needs to get cracked too, to be honest. Throwing around dirty looks. Uh, but they do, they, they seem to think they're the bad boys of Major League Baseball. I'm not going to lie. I'm starting not to like it. Uh, speaking of fights, and I guess I'll wrap up the show with this today. I've been following the Conor McGregor stuff. As you know, he was supposed to have a rematch with Nate Diaz at UFC 200. That didn't happen because Dana White, UFC, they asked Conor McGregor to do this promotional stuff, and McGregor said, no, I've been so caught up in the promotional game, I need to get back and focused on the fight game after his loss to Diaz, not going to do the promotional stuff, so Dana White, and I don't blame Dana White for this, I think it was a good move, he says, all right, fuck you, um, we're taking you off the card, you know, you don't want to help promote our event, then you're not going to fight, that's just as big a part of it as the fight, and I agree with Dana White, especially when it comes to Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor became Conor McGregor, the superstar, I think, mostly because of what he was doing on the mic, on the microphone, at the press conferences, during the promotional events. Those things are the reason I went and saw his fights. And obviously, going to the fights are the reason they bring in money, and McGregor's been able to bring in money, but why are people going to see the fights that are bringing in money? Because McGregor was so good at these promotional events, especially with Aldo. So, I think it's... It's, it's a little unfair to Dana White and UFC for McGregor to say, oh, I'm not doing promotional stuff anymore. Well, the promotional stuff is what made you a superstar, in my opinion. Sure, you're a great fighter, but there's a lot of great fighters out there. There are not a lot of great fighters who can entertain the way you can entertain when you're not in the octagon. That's a huge part of this thing. While this is fighting, MMA, octagon, UFC, this is entertainment at the same time. Entertainment at the same time. And Conor McGregor cannot forget that. He forgot that. And Dana White said, you want to forget that? All right, we'll take you off the card. And that's what they did. So I've been following this McGregor stuff because then we had the rumor of McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. And I told you, I think that would be stupid on McGregor's part um, because this would never happen in an octagon. And in case you were wondering, well, Conor McGregor actually talked with Kenny Mayne on ESPN they did a one-on-one and ended up being the Sunday conversation. They, they leaked out clips of it over the weekend, throughout the weekend. But um, I thought it was a great interview. I really did. I thought it was a great interview. And I thought McGregor opened up a lot about the Mayweather stuff and the Mayweather rumors. And here's basically what he said. When he was asked about Mayweather, he says, look, McGregor says, look, I have all these plates. I balance all these plates. I balance boxing. I, I balance jiu-jitsu. Um you know, uh, karate, uh, you know, you name it. Any type of fighting that, that, that I can do, uh, wrestling, grappling, 
submission. I do it all. I, I balance all these plates when I get in the octagon. He said, would I drop all those plates to just balance the one boxing plate? He almost said, I think he's basically acknowledged that if he just had to focus on one aspect of fighting instead of multiple, I, he basically said that would be, he'd be better suited for that. He'd be able to focus on one thing and, and, and he'd feel confident in that. He also said that he knows Mayweather is not going to step into the octagon, which he's not. I mean, if anybody thought that fight would ever take place in the octagon, you're out of your friggin' mind. Like, that's just, that would never, never happen. It just wouldn't. Um, so, that said, McGregor then comes out and, and says, basically, he'd do it in the ring. But... He's going to need a whole lot more money than maybe what Mayweather was talking McGregor would get. And that's where McGregor gets into the whole conversation of he needs me more than I need him, right? Like that, that's basically McGregor said, I don't need a fight with Mayweather. Mayweather needs a fight with me if he wants to make the big money. But the problem with it is if we're going to make the big money, then I need to split that. Like, Mayweather can't take all the money in the world, and I only get, you know, 10% of that. Like, that's not going to happen. I need to make just as much as him, if not more, because at the end of the day, Mayweather needs me more than I need him. And you know what? I think McGregor's got, McGregor's got a point with that. I really believe he's got a point there. I mean, Mayweather, McGregor has a point, because who's Mayweather going to fight next? Unless Mayweather fights Canelo. You know, then, then it's then it's a different story because then that's a major fight. Canelo gets a rematch. Can he beat Mayweather? Mayweather going for his fiftieth win. Um, that would be that would be the fight. I think Mayweather could use maybe that idea as leverage against Conor McGregor. But other than that, what else does what other fight does Mayweather have that would be as exciting him versus McGregor? Now, I don't think McGregor should do it. I really don't. I really don't think McGregor should go in the ring because I don't think he's going to win this fight, but I won't lie. I mean, I'd pay the money to watch it. But it's interesting to hear McGregor talk about it and say Mayweather needs me more than I need him, but also McGregor basically admits, yeah, I'll go in the ring. I'll fight in a boxing match. And in fact, me not having to juggle jiu-jitsu, taekwondo, karate, wrestling, all those other things, that might, that might suit me pretty well if I only have to juggle maybe one, one thing. If I only have to worry about one thing in the ring and not multiple aspects of fight. So that's interesting to hear McGregor say that. But um, we'll see. I, I guess if, if Mayweather, if Mayweather wants, it sounds like if Mayweather gives him, if they split that thing, they split the money. And I don't know that Mayweather would ever do that. But if he does, it sounds like they got a fight in a boxing match in the ring. And as much as I think it would be a mistake for McGregor to do that, because I don't think he'd win, I also am telling you that I would pay for it and I would watch it. So, And at the end of the day, that's all they want you to do. Finally, I mentioned big name return last night at WWE. Their little pay-per-view. Seth Rollins returned. Was anybody expecting it? You know what sucks about it? I, like. Because of Twitter now, people were tweeting that he was backstage and they sort of knew it was going to happen. Like, to the diehard wrestling fans out there, like, doesn't that take the surprise away from you? Like, do you like that? Because I'm not a season ticket holder, but I pay attention when the big names return. 
I do. I mean, I follow people who follow it. I follow them on Twitter. But they're tweeting out before the event last night that he was backstage and he was going to return. Like, you like that? Why would you like that? Isn't the whole thing is supposed to be entertainment and a surprise? How is it a surprise and entertainment entertaining if you know what's going to happen? I feel like they always the diehard wrestling fans they know exactly what's going to happen all the time. You know, I, I, the idea that you could have multiple things that you could guess what's going to happen that's pretty that could be fun for you. But I mean, to know that a guy's backstage and that he's going to return, how is that fun? I think that I think that's pretty stupid. It always seems to happen. So Seth Rollins returned last night. It's John Cena returned. He did something at WrestleMania, didn't he? Yeah, him and The Rock. Um, I don't know when he's returning. Maybe he returns soon. I don't know. I t- I'm out of the loop. I've been out of the loop. So I apologize for that. There's just there's some things going on. There's a lot going on. If I have any updates, I'll let you know about that. If not, business as usual here from the Beantown Athletics Studio. Beantown Athletics. Your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, BeantownAthletics.com. And once again, make sure you download the free SeatGeek app and get a $20 rebate on tickets to concerts, sporting events. Use the promo code PICARD. That's right, my last name, PICARD. I'm here five days a week, DannyPicard.com. You can also listen on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, the Google Play Music Store. Subscribe anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. I am out. Talk to you tomorrow.